Hey y'all, welcome to another episode of Young Black Equestrians, the podcast. Today's interview is with my sorority sister, Ashley Nash. She's 27 years old and has accomplished a lot. She's a published author. She's a counselor. She founded Not All Scars Heal, which stands for her last name N-A-S-H. She is a co-facilitator for It Takes a Village, and that is a group for young African-Americans to freely discuss mental health. She's a public speaker and a mental health advocate. Like, what doesn't she do? While she isn't an equestrian, this episode is important for us to openly discuss mental health in the Black community. Ashley is so in love with mental health and has found positive coping skills for her own mental health in this journey. She lives by the quote, be that person you needed when you were younger. We are so grateful to speak with her as this is another step closer to normalizing mental health care. Give us feedback about this episode and your personal mental health journey. Enjoy. You are listening to Young Black Equestrians, the podcast with your hosts, Abriana Johnson and Caitlin Gooch. We've been starting off each episode with just kind of telling um, each other what we're thankful for okay. today. So if you want to share something that you are thankful for today. Sure. Um, I am thankful for good health within my family. Mm-hmm. And good physical health. That's good. Sometimes we can take that for granted. Yes. What about you, Abriana? What are you thankful for? Uh, I am thankful for, I guess, networking opportunities. Were you thankful for that last week, Caitlin? I feel like you were. I'm not trying to copy you, but just today. (laughs) I could be thankful for that today. Um, just <laughs> networking opportunities that just continue to open up doors for other things. So I appreciate it. That's what I'm thankful for. Awesome. Um, I'm thankful for having um, elders in the family who are still, you know, up and kicking it. Um, my uncle mentioned today. He had asked everyone that was in the room that was over 70 to stand up. And then he was like, you know, everybody else who's sitting down, look around because they are blessings. And he was just saying, you know, don't take your blessings for granted. So I'm thankful for my elders. That is the truth. Uh All right. So, Nash, if you want to just start by kind of telling us a little bit about yourself and what your background is, and then we'll kind of get into our our big discussion. Okay. So, um, I guess the grand, in the grand scheme of things, who I am, currently a PhD student majoring in counselor education, and I work as an academic counselor and a supervisor at a community-based counseling center and a mentor at a um, the Chancellor's Leadership Development Program. And 
I'm not doing any of that. <laughs> I'm trying to shoot out another novel through. I'm actually working on a children's series, trying to teach children how to vocalize and show their different types of feelings and emotions to their to their elders, to their um, their guardians. Because I feel like that's a big misstep mis- to where they aren't allowed to or they don't really know how to express themselves. Mm-hmm. And then that can come off as them not, you know, knowing what's going on. Mm-hmm. And kind of, I was seeing an uptake in younger generations committing suicide. And so that kind of where it stems from, because I feel as though if we taught them at a younger age how to express what's going on and how they're feeling, then that wouldn't be um, necessarily an option all the time. Right. Right. Okay, fellow author, I see you. I <laughs> <laughs> dabble, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. So, what um, what school are you getting your PhD at? North Carolina State University. Oh, okay, and fellow Wolfpack, I see hey. you. <laughs> this is perfect. <laughs> well, that is that is pretty cool. So, what kind of put you on that path everybody has a life experience that puts them kind of on the path to to what they feel is important what what was that for you oh um everything (laughs) survival in the grand scheme of things um surviving childhood sexual abuse um i've had four suicide attempts in the past Mm -hmm. um just i battled with I have bipolar depression now, um, generalized anxiety disorder, and I have post-traumatic stress disorder. So just like knowing that this world can be such a corrupt, evil place, mm-hmm. to it can kind of like damage you to the sense of wanting to not be here, feeling that needs. Okay, if I I tried four times, I have to be doing something else with all of this pain that I'm feeling so I need to pour it into something else right and kind of counseling fell into my lap like my sophomore year of undergrad I was actually a journalism major initially and then I went to my first um psychology class and I was like whoa like (laughs) I was the my idea of counseling and therapy was totally different Mm -hmm. from what it actually is and so like Mm -hmm. I fell in love I switched my major and it was been online. Mm-hmm. So I know in the black community in general, there is like mental health. It, it's getting better, but just the conversation about it is a bit mm-hmm. taboo, yeah. you know, between the reliance upon like religion, like just pray about it kind of situation mm-hmm. versus just being in denial of the kind of the root cause of whatever emotional trauma or mental trauma that someone might experience like you said like some sort of sexual abuse what do you think is kind of the best way to go about creating that normal conversation or surrounding mental health the best way to i think start creating it is to honestly know how to bring it up without feeling guilty about it. So right now I it's a lot easier said than that, but um 
actually I co-facilitate a group on Facebook for African American young African Americans to just openly discuss mental health, like in that form to kind of that community because. We're so torn between, as a black community, we're so torn between either what happens in this house, stays in this house, or it takes the village. Mm-hmm. And so just trying to, to merge both of those thinking. It's, I feel like the younger generation, they're starting to understand more and that conversation is the, that door is creeped and open. Mm-hmm. And so we have to pour that into our older generation. But, you know, our, our elders, especially, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's can't tell them to, nothing. You know, convince them. Can't, mm-hmm. can't tell them nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they they it in their ways. And so mm-hmm. It takes a lot of convincing. But uh, I feel like the more that we arm our younger generation with the confidence to start the discussion, the more it's going to be able to believe in our community to be yeah you can have a religion you can pray to god but god put into my heart to become a counselor and a therapist so he wouldn't be you know directing me towards his path if it wasn't something that you could buy into right mm-hmm. i guess my next question is just about some some misconceptions that you've experienced as a counselor about yeah. mental health kind of like what it is, what it, what its effect on a person. What are what uh-huh. are some of those misconceptions that you've come across? Um, that it's it's basically bogus, and people are just paying therapists, paying for a friend, and like things of that nature. Um, that just not fully grasping the the power of the mind. And understanding how that can manifest into like physical things, how interacting, and like how your your behavior is, and how it's a, it's a domino effect where it starts in the way that you think, mm-hmm. and it's hard to understand. Even uh, maybe because I'm I'm biased, but it's hard to understand how someone can question the way someone thinks to the point of. No one is kind of welcoming in mental health issues. No one is opening in the door to depression. No one says that right. I want to have these feelings of, you know, worthlessness or helplessness. So right. I don't, the misconception is more so that I get a lot of people saying, oh, this is for attention. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, this is just um, following a trend. And I would say that as it's becoming more talkative and social media aspects, it can sometimes be picked up as a trend to say, oh, this small inconvenience happened and someone manifests that instead of them having depression of that nature. So I feel like there needs to be a deeper understanding of the level of intensity attached to things like that. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just displaced on every inconvenience. Right, right. Yes, I completely agree because... Um, I mean, I feel like there was, like, a shift. Like, there's, oh, let's start talking about mental health. Oh, it exists. You know, it's not a bogus thing. Let's start carrying this conversation. And then you have people kind of taking a little bit of advantage of that. And then so now there's skepticism about it. Like, like, are you for real? Or is this just attention-seeking behavior? 
when there's uh-huh. really people out here, you know, dealing with real stuff. So now, now that people are believing or is coming a little bit more normalized, there's always uh-huh. that skepticism now, like, oh, they're not for real. Like, they're just doing that for attention. So, uh-huh. I, I mean, I feel like that's the, the case with any kind of, like, new topic, you know, whether it be mental health or, you know, financial success, Instagram, fame, you know, Uh anything, anything new that is kind of coming, becoming the norm, it kind of has that teetering point where it's like, okay, no, no, that ain't it. And then the people that are really experiencing it have yet another battle to (laughs) deal with now that what they are experiencing is kind of out in the open. Uh-huh. So. Right. Right. Especially, you know, since we are talking about um, the black household and black community, when it's people our age, you know, saying that they finally got help and they're diagnosed with this, this, and this, and then their family is possibly looking at them like, well, you pretty much had your everything given to you in life. Yeah, what, house, what could you, you possibly struggle with? Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah, and they're like, well, what's the problem? And that doesn't help the situation because, like Nash, like you said in the beginning, when we were younger, we might not knew how to, we might not have known how to express what it was that we're feeling to mm-hmm. our, you know, our elders just because. I'm not gonna say all of them held things over our head, but just because we just didn't know. Yeah, um, yeah, and it's almost like as a child, like you didn't deserve to have those feelings because you ain't worked hard enough to have. <laughs> like, yeah, those... like how are you tired? What do you mean you're you can't get out of bed? Exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Yep. Yep. And that's just. I mean, I feel like that that is a generational thing i mean it it goes all the way back to like our parents 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 you know Uh having to work so hard like you have the audacity to you know have feel a certain way when Uh when they didn't get that leisure exactly exactly so they didn't have that they didn't have the same leisure to have those feelings or they didn't feel like they did anyway so Mm-hmm. Um, for me, how I describe it, like for the generational aspect, like some, sometimes we're the seed and sometimes we're the fruit. Like we're the fruit of um, having better opportunities, like education-wise. We're mm-hmm. the fruit of being able to have multiple streams of income. Like we're the fruit of that nature. Mm-hmm. But we're planning the seed for that that open conversation for mental health. So I can talk to my nephews about, hey. You're bullying? Let me tell you, let's talk about the effect that your bullying can have on that person. Mm-hmm. And I can break it down to him. And so he can grow into saying, oh, you know what? Let me be mindful about the feelings of other people. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. And I feel like that approach, I mean, I, I love that, the fruit and the seed. I feel like that approach um, will have a more, like, resounding effect on people especially in the case of bullying like when you kind of break it down and say you know some of these bullying campaigns it's like don't bully bullying's Mm -hmm. bad well why is it bad 
Uh-huh. You know, most bullies have something in their life that they are trying to, you know, deflect from or handle internally. You know, how about we talk about what's going on with you and, and why that creates that kind of behavior? Because, um, I mean, little kid bullies turn into adult bullies. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, there's a there's a root to everything. Now, little kid bullies are, you know, finding big kid guns and shooting up schools. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. That, too. That, too. Um, so, as kind of a African-American woman going into this field, uh, what are some challenges that you face, whether it be you know, in understanding and trying to convey your message? Um, it's definitely the challenge of, you know, black women are an innately strong. You know, we're supposed to be stronger. To, we're basically upheld to the standard of being the strongest gender, sex, um, ethnicity group in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, we're supposed to just kind of like get over the mistreatment of not only society as a whole, but even mistreatment in our own community and just kind of roll over and run with it. Mm-hmm. And so it's always that the misconception that if I'm in this world and I'm being vocal about why, then I'm less strong. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've already dealt with those demons growing up. And so I feel no, no, um, I feel no sense of holding on to that that stand that fake standard and so um that's fine maneuvering in this this white world of counseling mental health and academia um because my my i'm in pursuit of being a professor mm-hmm. that it can become difficult to navigate but the more that i've been down this path it's kind of like you know what i don't have to prove why i'm in this room because i my presence is in this room is my proof. Right. So I'm not going above the board to tell you, oh, I deserve to be here. Choose me, look at me. I Mm -hmm. don't have to dance. Mm -hmm. You know, um, in the sense of being a little, not cocky, but mm, check the resume. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't have to dance for you anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. That's how I feel sometimes. (laughs) When I... When I'm in a in a situation where I'm in other veterinary professionals, especially if they already know like who I am, and there's some people who uh-huh. don't, I'm like, "Oh, hey, girl!" Uh-huh. <laughs> like, "Oh yeah, oh yeah, I've been here." What? I'm like, I don't have to tell you why I'm here, or you know, show you my credentials. Like, these people know who I am. <laughs> I completely agree. So, um, what is your PhD on? Counselor education. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure if, I I don't know much about like non, like science PhDs. Oh yeah, you're fine because you (laughs) asking me about like biological science, I I can't help you. Yeah. I have more power to you. (laughs) How far along are you in the PhD program? Um, year two. Oh, dang. Uh-huh. Is is it two or four or three? 
it's four. Um, okay. just the last year is like dissertation writing. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite part of what you do now? Being a superhero. is definitely my favorite part to get a client I love trauma and I love clients in crisis and it sounds so weird and kind of like morbid even but um, it happens Mm -hmm. and so to be able to get a client that's like on the edge of like I don't want to do this anymore Mm -hmm. and to be able to like walk them back from that Mm -hmm. and like turn them around Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll we don't get paid mm-hmm. <laughs> enough for what we do, but it's just, I can't imagine doing anything else. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I know you say you love trauma, but I I think it's like, it's the reward mm-hmm. of that. You know, if you, if you got somebody that's just like skating by, like they're just chilling and then they, then, you know, you have a conversation. It might not feel as though you've done as much work. As in, you know, compared to somebody who is on the edge and you, you know, turn them completely around. And that's just the the reward of that. I can, I can understand that from a medical point of view. Like if you got a patient crashing and then you keep them alive, that feels much better than, you know, a patient that just itching and now they don't itch. <laughs> so I love them all, but yeah, it's those, those do or die. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, literally, <laughs> literally. And even indirectly, Nash, you have helped people. I mean, with the the book, and then you started not all scars heal, mm-hmm. which opened up you know more conversations. Because me and you, we have like mutual social media friends, <laughs> so mm-hmm. I see. You know, I see people sharing. I see people opening up and taking what you are posting in consideration just because you're being transparent about your journey and how far you have come. And then even with me, I've probably been messaging you for like a year about where I can find a therapist. And this year I finally found one. (laughs) So even indirectly, you are a superhero still. Oh, thank you. <laughs> that's so nice. So let's talk about the book. Um, what is okay. the the name of the book, or is it? It's a series. Um, no. So I have um two novels oh, out nice. right now. Okay. Um, my latest one is the Miseducation of the Privileged, and it's basically surrounded by. It's not a real word, but in a sense, um, you rehumanizing the homeless community mm-hmm. and so i've seen a lot well during that time um because i had a sense so i wasn't homeless that i couch hopped mm-hmm. and so that put a lot of things in perspective for me mm-hmm. and how like quickly your comfort can kind of be snatched from me and so that opened my eyes into the looking into the homeless community and just going to have conversations with them like and like we'll share meals together and just their path of how they got to where they are is so it can be so different from what you see on TV. Right. And it's not just always, Hey, I got addicted to drugs and I lost everything or I became an alcoholic and I lost everything. Like 
a lot of people are living paycheck to paycheck. And, mm-hmm. you know, and know they're like one one bad sneeze away, you know, one hospital visit away from being in those circumstances. Mm-hmm. And so it's like being able to open them up as a person again mm-hmm. and say, um, I had a whole life before this. Like, you know, this is just a part that you see me in, but... Right. You don't know how I got here. You can't be presumptuous and, you know, how I became the person that you're looking at. Right. That's cool. And what is the second one about? Um, a word for warning. It's about a suicide. Well, um, it's about a award-winning spoken word artist who committed suicide. Mm-hmm. And so it's her friends and her family. Anybody who looks there going back and saying, okay, where did I miss? Like, where was the, what was the outcry? Like, how did I miss her going through this? And then, so them finding out that she was, um, like, performing her poetry, that was her way of crying out for help. And they just kind of applauded it as entertainment. And they didn't really indulge in what she was saying. Mm-hmm. Are you self-published or did you have a publisher? I am self-published for my first one, so Words for Warning is self-published. And then I have a publisher for um, the Business Education of the Privilege, Carolina Shotwell, um, Shotwell Publishing. Okay. How did you go about um, choosing a a publisher and kind of going through that process? It's so weird because she chose me. I didn't know it. (laughs) I didn't know that she was a publisher or anything like that. We are just um, social media friends. And I was working on a novel. And she saw that I was working on a novel. And she reached out to me like, hey, girl. And it's black woman. And she reached out to me and was like, hey, girl, I'm a publisher. Like, let's let's work. I was like, what? And she was like, okay, yeah, let's work. Oh, that's cool. (laughs) That is cool. So what what is it about your book that you kind of share on social media? Like, is it like the research component about it or just kind of, hey, y'all, I'm writing a book <laughs> about this? Um, It's more so like what the content of it is. And mm-hmm. so I'll randomly release like a couple pages from a chapter mm-hmm. and it just, just to kind of catch the what, how intense some of the some of the reading is, yeah, and how um, transparent yeah. in the sense of not necessarily my journey, but the real journey of a lot of people. Right, that is awesome. I, I bet that kind of captivates people in a very quick way, you know, because I I enjoy reading. I don't do as much reading as I would like to. But, um, you know, a few pages is enough to kind of get somebody hooked into a book. I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> so what, um, what advice do you have for, like, aspiring mental health professionals? Um, know why you're getting into it. Mm-hmm. Know... And intuitively, why you're getting into this field? Mm-hmm. Because you're not gonna, you're not gonna make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're gonna have to work your ass off. You're gonna have to do 
thousands of clinical hours. You're going to have to do at least 10 plus years after you graduate high school, more of like further education. Mm -hmm. And so if you're really going to commit to this, you need to know why. Mm -hmm. Because this is not a field that you can not know yourself in because just all of the the stories and the energies that we are attached to on a day-to-day basis. Like, if you're not intuitive, if you don't know yourself and know why you're you're in front of that person, then you can get lost in the stories of, of all of their, their baggage and their trauma. And you take that home with you. And if you... Some of the things that I've heard from some of my clients, it's just like... You can't take on all of that. You have to know your role and maneuvering their journey. And so if you don't know your role, you don't know why you're there, then you will get swallowed. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's some some good sound advice. Yes. And on the flip side of that, what would you say to those of us who struggle with our own mental health and those who have friends and family that they might notice some things and they just want to be able to reach out and let somebody know that they're there whenever they're ready to talk. I would say to make it a normal conversation, just like asking the person what they want to eat for dinner. Mm-hmm. Just I feel like our approach is so tiptoey because it's it's such a sensitive topic and we try to figure out how to dance around it. But mm-hmm. if we just hey, all right, bro, yo, what's your, let's go have a couple of drinks, you know, kick back, talk about what's going on, and then just in that that um that situation, just in that that conversation, you find out so much. And it's like yo, like what's what's wrong. So let's mm-hmm. talk. Mm-hmm. And it should just be natural. Not It won't be automatically natural, but it should feel as natural as just asking someone what they want to eat because it's, it's that important. Mm-hmm. The same way that you want to make sure that their their body, their physical is well-fed and well, you know, well taken care of. Mm-hmm. The body, the person, is it's a whole entity. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. That's awesome. Um, all right, Caitlin, do you have any other questions? I'm thinking before <laughs> you hang up, and then I'm like, oh, I got another question. <laughs> yeah. Um, I got one. Um. I'm going to just keep asking you, what are you going to say to them? What would you say to them? What would you say to them? Anyway. <laughs> um, for individuals that are having or that are having issues kind of opening up to others. Because, I mean, if you ask somebody, like, how's everything going? Is everything uh-huh. fine? A lot of people will say, oh, yeah, I'm fine. Oh, yeah, I'm uh-huh. good. I'm good. Guilty of that. <laughs> same, same. So what advice do you have for those who, those people who have or struggle with opening up to 
other people, whether they know that they're have an internal struggle or not, you know, because some people are in denial themselves, you know, what advice do you have for people that is that struggle to be vulnerable like that? Mm. Um, my advice would probably be to kind of look at how vulnerable you already are. Mm-hmm. Look at, you know, how frankly you give like your body to people or not saying in the sense of like your whole, but just in the sense of <laughs> look how frankly you give certain aspects of yourself to people. If you trust them to, you know, take care of your, even if it's like your, your, um, your best friend is watching your kids. If you trust them to take care of your kids as a friend, as a sister, as a brother, as a mom, as a dad, like if you have that much interest in them, then what's stopping you to say, okay, I can be a, today is not, and it doesn't have to be some automatic, no, I feel like I'm suicidal. I feel like everything's going that shit wrong. It can be like, you know, today wasn't my best day. Mm-hmm. You know, and going in, it doesn't have to be some zero to a hundred. Right. It doesn't need to be. Right. That was really solid advice because even like sometimes I just don't feel like describing my day all over again. Right. <laughs> you know, if somebody asks. Mm-hmm. And I might just be like, you know, somebody like, how was your day? I, I, I've become to hate that question just because I say the same thing over and over. It has nothing to do with them asking. It's just, I'm like, okay, well, it's the end of the day. And I'm going to just tell you that I, it was an okay day or I was fine or whatever. And not talk about those things. Instead of, like you just said, like, it wasn't really the best day. <laughs> you know, like, that would be so simple. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of times that, like, like my routine is I talk to my mom, like, every day. And it's usually after I get off work. But then you talk to a friend and then talk to, like, a boo. And, like, all three people ask the same question. <laughs> it's like, uh-huh. like, you know what? By the end of it, you're like, oh, it was good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, I'm tired of I'm tired of saying the same thing over and over. <laughs> but yeah, I completely understand that, Caitlin. <laughs> but uh-uh, you ain't got that. You don't have to rehash your day with everybody all the time. You know, you can pick and choose. Mm-hmm. You can pick and choose that one person to kind of kind of pour into for that day, and not ask it. Everybody else, can, all right, I'm fine because mm-hmm. you already got it out. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm glad we were able to talk with you, and I hope that. Oh, wait. I got another question. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'm happy, happy, happy. Have you ever integrated animal assisted therapy in your counseling programs? Okay, so yes. Um, when I was first starting off as a counselor, um, I would actually take the girls to, um, I know the, I'll, listen, y'all, I can't pronounce the E word, but I took them to work for horses. Equestrian? <laughs> therapy. Yes. Oh, <laughs> like, 
like, I, can, I see it in my head. I'm like, yeah so you you would take them to hang out with horses yes i i, I never got up there you know so well myself but they loved it <laughs> okay that is pretty cool that's pretty cool i i was like i don't know if that's how caitlin like knows her or what but um I I am going in November to be assessed with my miniature horse. I have a little uh-huh. mini horse um, to be part of the Pet Partners program. Uh-huh. And um, I guess our, our primary goal is to participate in more like educational kinds of therapy, like reading uh-huh. and, you know, teaching people about horses, stuff like that. Um, and then kind of like a physical therapy component, like, like fine motor skills and things like that. Um, just because of the nature of horses, I, I'm trying to stay away from hospitals, definitely. And, um, but I, I haven't, I haven't made a decision and I I would just need to get kind of more contacts um, in the like mental health field as far as like what I think the horse would be comfortable with. Um, Because in in this training program, handler training, we have to go through situations like, you know, if you walk past someone sitting on a bench and they reach out and just grab the horse's tail and pull it, like, what are you going to (laughs) do? Uh-huh. And I'm like, okay, I don't think I want to put the animal in that situation because it's at the end of the day, it's just an animal. Like they're gonna react yeah. in their natural instinct, and that just creates a bad situation for everybody. Uh-huh. So, um, I know that that's just what I mean. You have to be kind of rated for different situations, and so a mental health capacity is more of a complex situation versus uh-huh. a predictable situation um so we get assessed in november to see if we're gonna be rated as complex or predictable so i'm kind of excited about that this whole animal assist i have a friend that's getting a phd on animals in animal assisted um activities and therapies Uh um so i like how that section of the mental health field is kind of expanding. I mean, just because I have a personal vested interest in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's cool. I'm glad that you have some experience with that because I, th- I think it's pretty cool. Yes. Nash and I are sorority sisters. That's how we know each other. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, you know, there's that. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> but that doesn't mean we won't work together in the future with the the horses and I know we got connects now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got okay. whole connects. Networking, thankful for. Okay, okay. <laughs> full circle. Full circle. Well, thank you so much. I'm not gonna take up too much of your time, but yeah, that was thank you all for having me. Fantastic episode, and hopefully, our listeners will learn something from it. Thank you for listening to Young Black Equestrians, the podcast. Be 
sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for updates. Listen, rate, and review us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Tune in next week for another episode.